Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so my guest today is the founder of Always Better Than Yesterday, a coaching and consulting company that helps people to be someone that they love, do more of what they love and serve those that they love. He is also married to his high school sweetheart. Welcome to the show, Ryan Hartley. Thanks for having me, my friend. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. That was a very brief introduction to who you are and what you do. So if you could tell the listeners a bit more about yourself. Yeah, I'm Ryan Hartley, 35, live in the southwest of England. Um, I, I guess I would just describe myself as a curious human being. Like when I was a kid, I must have watched all of like the the serial killer profiles, you know, all those types of uh, those types of shows. And it, and it led me to want to know more about people. I've always been curious about this topic of psychology and wanted to know why people do what they do. So I went off to university and I had this kind of dream of of wanting to be a criminal profiler. I wanted to know why naughty people did naughty things. Right. So so I joined my local police force as, as a civilian and I took like 999 calls and dispatched officers on the radio for some time. And uh, somewhere along that journey, I, I figured out that criminal profiler jobs don't really <laughs> don't really exist beyond the telly. You know, you have to spend your life inside a university if you want to be a criminal profiler. So you know, I got on and, and did a variety of things that I've always felt like I've enjoyed. And um, yeah, somewhere along the way, I became a, a parent at the same time as becoming a manager. It, the, these two things happened at the same time, round about being 24, 25. And I was seeing so many similarities between my role in the home, you know, getting up at 3am, doing the night feed, really just devoting my time, my attention, making little mini sacrifices for this little thing that I was trying to nurture that I loved so much. Mm-hmm. And also the way that I was approaching leadership in the workplace, the way I felt like my role as a manager and a leader was to equip my people, to serve my people, to make sure that they had all that they need. So I started to develop this this, um, passion and enthusiasm for leadership, which was in my heart about serving other people. And yet in the police, I was being shown that leadership looked like 30 years service, who knew better, who had more experience, right. who was who was a higher rank and whose yeah. car parking space was closest to the building. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I just I just fell in love with this topic of leadership and I've not ever been able to shake it. And, and so I started coaching on the side uh, of my day job and that was five years ago. So five years ago, this this May. Um, I started coaching for the first time under the the name of Always Better Than Yesterday. Mm-hmm. And on the 14th of February, 2020, it became my full-time job. So I, I coach, I consult, I, I lead a community, and I, and I host a podcast, all centered around this concept of helping people be better than yesterday. But not that that's the requirement, but that that is the result. And, and I believe that it is the result of love. Excellent. Excellent. So that's that's a very again a, a concise but uh, interesting journey that you've had. Interesting yeah, that point that you made about being in the police and that style of leadership. Mm-hmm. I guess being like a heart led person that you are was that a quite a difficult space because I was a firefighter for twelve years. Yeah, and although it doesn't sound as hierarchical as as that, it did have elements of leadership. Was follow it, you know you needed to follow. Yeah, you needed to follow orders because otherwise people could die. But 
in some cases and in a lot of cases it was following orders for the sake of following orders sure. and, and that didn't sit with me very well either but uh, so tell me yeah. about that and how that it maybe have impacted on you well for me at its core i think what it symbolizes is how society have misconstrued what love means you know we've got um we've got hallmark cards you know we've got all these cards that talk about love and valentine's day we've made it into this abstract thing yeah, at its core, I think love is about the willingness to serve somebody else, the willingness to serve and sacrifice. And and our public sector, our blue light emergency services are the best at doing that. You know, that at the core of what we do is love, is the willingness to put public service, put somebody else, their own safety before mm-hmm. our own. Going into a burning building is not what the average person is going to do. Going into a, an RTC, whether a... a, a, a a road crash where the car is submerged upside down into a river to get the people out. That ain't your average Joe's kind of response. And it, and it, so at the heart of service is love. And yet somewhere along the way, we we've made our approach a, a kind of an intellectual one, a, a thinker's one. We, we, we think that emotion has no place in the workplace. And, and what I think really we mean is, is an over emotion. I, I, I don't, I think, I think it is love. I think it is emotion that moves us mm-hmm. to be true public servants. Mm. No, I completely agree. Again, what you know, I mean, there are some people that do it just because they want to wear sure. the badge type mm-hmm. thing. Um, but it's interesting what you said then about that. I, I like the word contributions sprung sprung to mind when you 100%. said, like you said, love has been very romanticized. I did actually mm-hmm. on a previous podcast, I talked about how love was romanticized in the Renaissance. Renaissance. Sure. Yeah. Um, if I could pronounce that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's become a very much like an airy fairy type space, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas the love, the core of love is like you say, is about that being able to give and serve and um be heart led in a way when it comes to being around other people. Mm. And, and that's it. And you know what and when we when we apply that to men, you know, I, without being too political, I think there's a lot of emancipation of men at the moment. And I think a man, a masculine man, when he is equipped with a connection to his heart mm-hmm. and he knows what he loves and who he loves, you know, the Bible says that no greater gift has man than to lay down his life for those that he loves. And I think that is what a masculine man, when he has love in his heart, is willing to do. He is honourable. He is noble. He will create safety for those around him, mm. and he will be willing to serve and sacrifice himself should he be required to. Yeah, and I think um, and that's some kind of again to talk about genetics and stuff. That you know, that's how we evolved as a human species, right? Yeah. We, you know, it was generally the man that did the hunting, the, the and the protecting, yeah. uh, and the, and the woman that did the the nurturing and and the caring and the collecting and stuff. So it's an interesting concept. They like you said about being able to find masculinity within ourselves mm-hmm. and for it not to be something that is yeah. toxic or unhealthy well based on this kind of manly type roles that we're, we're taught about yeah and, and unfortunately you know quite rightly that there there is an uprising against the the use of toxic masculinity because too many have used that power you know for personal gain and advancement you know mm-hmm. in in a in a bad sense in terms of use and abuse of of um you know being abusive but in a in a less obvious way that our workplaces are full of leaders who are self-serving mm-hmm. 
you know, that in itself is an abuse of power. Like true leadership is about serving and protecting, in my humble opinion. And yet we've got more leaders that rather be served and sacrifice others should mm. it come to it. And and it's you know it's it's a it's a real absence of of real heart centered men. Interesting, yeah, and I, you can see that a lot playing out in what's been going on recently. I think in 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 the government in the UK, no more so. And uh, I I was very fortunate enough to interview um, Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of the Five Love Languages, mm-hmm. and there is a sentence on the. Um, final page of his book that kind of haunts me it says for all the love that we do not receive as children will become adults that seek that in the world mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people mm-hmm. using their job to seek the love with which they did not gain as children yeah and i think even with my service as a, mm-hmm. as, as everything mm-hmm. i've ever done up until i don't know maybe far 10 years ago i think that a lot of my service I've, all, I've always worked in the service industry either when i was yep. a PD, firefighter worked in insurance as retail whatever it whatever mm. I was all I've always worked in service and I think a lot of that came from my need to be accepted yeah validated yeah uh, helping people was a way that I felt good about myself obviously not in a healthy way but I was a bit of a people pleaser and so therefore sure. everybody's needs before my own until I became yeah. resentful about that whole space um so not a great space for me to be in I, I, um, I share that Mm. I share that, you know, one of my greatest life lessons has been to learn how to lead from love, not for love. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when I, when I found what it is that I loved about my work, when I started creating always better than yesterday in this community, well, this group of people were speaking my love language back to me, which is words of affirmation. Oh my God, Ryan's doing such great things. He's really helping me. So when challenges start to come in my own relationship, where did Ryan Hartley go? Did he go to fix the problems or did he go where he was loved and valued and appreciated? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you where I went and it was the wrong place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and it, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the other whole relationship journeys shortly, but that, that meant that I didn't go and do the things I should have done. Mm. And the greatest lesson I had to learn is to, to come to the world from love rather than for love. And that's a very interesting point, actually, because, you know, we everything when we are children of most things we learn, there's an external validation to everything. Yeah. And we don't learn to validate ourselves internally because most of the time we're not taught how to do that. The irony is, as a young lad, I was labelled as arrogant. And I I've always would reject this label of being arrogant because in my heart, I never felt arrogant. Yeah. But what it looked like to other people is that when Ryan Hartley was doing wonderful things, he would tell people. Right. And 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 I can look back at that young version of me with compassion now and go, bless him. Mm-hmm. He was trying so hard. He just wanted people to say, I see you. You're doing great. Like mm-hmm. he needed some sense of affirmation. And, it, and the way that he tried to get that in the world made him come across as arrogant. So it, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. You know, when we start to view that, it's easy to look back now and, and start to connect with that. But if we can do that for other people as well and start to see beyond behaviors, I think there's a real problem where, you know, we we judge others by their behavior and yet we mm-hmm. judge ourselves by our intentions. Mm. And yet if we could really just take the time to understand, you know, what is beyond that? What What is the root of, and then we can have some much more compassionate and kind conversations with each other. Yeah, it's most definitely great point made. Um, so I want to come back to what you said about that acceptance of emotion. Uh, and rather than it be an over emotion um, yeah. to normalize emotion in in, in life really i think again it's depending on where you come from and what your upbringing has been like stuff and emotion is something especially within me that was shut down 
quite quickly. I mean, I remember when I was crying as a kid, my dad would say, I'll give you something to cry about if you don't stop crying, that type of um, that space, because he wasn't comfortable with emotion. So yeah. tell me a little bit what you mean by over-emotion and how that need, how we can be more emotional. Well, I, I think that there's a, an overstimulation of our system. So if we if we get into that point, whether it would be fear or overwhelm, there's almost like a it engages the nervous system and we get that response, which is fight or flight, fight, mm. flight, freeze. Right. And if we're in that situation, we're in our kind of um, we're in a heightened state, which means that we are um, that I guess the biology that happens then is that our um, bio- we the oxygen gets primarily put towards our limbs. So we've, we end up putting oxygen to our limbs so that we can prioritize what used to have been an escape. Mm-hmm. In some way, there would have been value to running right now. Now, when it goes to your limbs, it's not going to the prefrontal cortex. The capillaries get smaller, which means that we gain less access to what it means to be human, which is to think logically and to think rationally. Mm-hmm. The animal kingdom don't really have the prefrontal cortex. It's what separates us, you know, giving us the ability to think about thinking. Yeah which is both a gift and a, and a curse <laughs> in, in some way, right? Yeah, yeah. But we've, So we've got this capability, but we lose it when we are overstimulated through fear, through anxiety, through overwhelm, mm-hmm. through panic, this fight-flight engages. What it also does is it turns off the immune system because the immune system isn't needed. You know, what, what point do I have for an immune system if I'm trying to escape a tiger? Mm. So everything shuts down. Now, what we have is a society that is doing that biological process in little micro doses when the Wi-Fi doesn't work, when we get cut up in traffic, mm. you know, for the Im- the email inbox that we never get to the end of, mm. for being late to the school run, you know, all these little micro doses of stress yeah. are creating a strain, which means we become less logical and rational within our responses, which means that we just literally react from a position of emotion which isn't um under control it's not rash it's not we've not i think leadership is the is the ability to take our chimp response and instead deliver a chosen response right i think the gap between those points chimp response to my chosen response is leadership Mm -hmm. And, and i think that is what I mean by like the right level of emotion that we have a degree of values, what's important to us, why it's important, what we care about. And it's going to give me the courage and the presence of mind and the peace to show up with that level of emotion. Mm -hmm. But also it gives me access to my mind as well. So it's a good balance between heart and mind. I, I describe myself as a heart set coach. Okay. And for me, I started this journey as a as a as a student of psychology. I still am a student of psychology, but I realized that so much of mindset was was purely one element of what is a, a myriad. You know, I was sat in Wagamama's. Yeah, right? I was sat in Wagamama's and I was looking at the menu, and it said Kokoro bowls, and these were f- this was a food for your heart, your mind, and your soul. Okay, and I didn't expect an epiphany in Wagamama's, but it, it was just like this is it. They're all separate. They all have different functions. And isn't it funny that we don't say I love you with all of my mind? So I've come to this understanding that that emotion and love is deeper than thinking. Mm. I can't force myself to think I love you. 
I can't force myself to think that I value the company values. They're deeper. So if they are deeper, what are they connected to? And I think they're connected to our heart, which is our heart set. So yeah, I think when we when we can connect with our heart set, there's an element of peace in our presence, which gives us access to the logical, rational side of the brain. The brain is at its best when it can think, it can plan, it can be strategic, it can be um, available to learn, to be intentional, to seek mm-hmm. things out. Mm-hmm. And I think when we are peaceful in our heart, we gain access to that at its best capability. Without being fogged by everything else. Yeah. yeah. I read a, a quote once and it was, we are emotional beings that think. Which yeah. always struck me. In that order. Yeah. As I always struck me because again, like you said, that's how we develop, like we are animals, right? So we develop yeah. this yeah. sense of emotion and then well, develop this brain that wasn't able yeah. to try and make sense of everything. Well, it's reading emotion and then the emotion gets received. So here's the crazy thing. Of all the connections between the heart and the brain, 80% go from the heart to the brain. This is all the research by the HeartMath Institute. Right. And what they've come to realize is that the heart is not just a biological pump. Mm-hmm. It has its own electromagnetic frequency. It has more communication with the brain. It has its own memory. Mm-hmm. It has its own intelligence. Uh, it's a really, really powerful thing that mm-hmm. um, that the majority of our society believe that we are in control using our brain you know when people take their own lives when they shoot themselves where do they shoot mm. they shoot the the brain because they assume that that's the thing that's in control of life but it's not they're just shooting the enemy sometimes it's the is the mind that could be our our enemy the the mind is never supposed to be the leader the mind is always supposed to be the servant it, it's the heart that leads the way interesting point very interesting point because you're right is is the you know, when you when you feel things, you feel them in your body, don't you? You mm. don't feel them in your head. Mm. <clears throat> um, yeah. But yeah, so so th- so we feel through the energy of the environment, mm. which we feel in our body, then then sing- sends the signal to the brain, and then the brain programs. Oh, that's that emotion. Oh, mm. that that's that's what I think or feel from that wave. Mm. The animal kingdom do this perfectly. They read energy all the time. You think about walking through the woods, and there's a deer. And it just gets the sense of sound or energy or, or movement. They're re- they're re- respect- responding. They're mm-hmm. reacting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not intellectually thinking. Oh, I wonder whether that's a human about three hundred <laughs> meters away from me, and whether they're going to cause me danger. <laughs> no, they're just acting on instinct, aren't they? You said exactly. Yeah, uh, and that's how we we function as humans. But like you said, we've got this part of ourselves which then tries to make sense of yeah. that, and 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 quite rightly so. When you talk about that stress earlier on. Yeah. That over emotion. Um, and I think that's why people kind of are labeled in that over emotional sense because we have a tendency we can lose control of that emotional yeah. space, can't we? Yeah. And um, so so this week I've just released an episode on the podcast with a chap called Dr. Gordon Newfeld. He is he is a wonderful human being, he's devoted 50 years of his life trying to help parents create the right um conditions for them to help their children flourish. A lot of it's based on attachment theory. Um, and he wrote a book called Hold On To Your Kids with Dr. Gabor Mate. And, you know, one of the things he he he's articulating in his book is that it, parenting has become an intellectual technique. There are parenting experts, there are books, and yet we're struggling more so to parent than ever. And, mm. he, and he says, because there's, a, there's, a, there's an invisible force at play. And it's actually the child that sets the context for parenting. It's not whether we think that we're doing the right thing as a parent. It's not whether I, you know, 
I want to think that if I unconditionally love my child, then I'm being the parent I need to be. Mm-hmm. What he says is that the the child will give me the permission to parent, the context to parent, if they feel like there's a degree of attachment. Okay. And and that's it. You know, when you gave that example of of your own father and saying those words, like it's we're so wrapped up in our own in our own being as parents that actually we forget that we already have all that we need to be the parent for our children. We just have to focus on that heart to heart connection. Mm. I think that's that's the key point, isn't it? Is that people we are just stuck in our own space a lot of the time and unable to kind of step out of that to be connected. Yeah. In, in that way with with children of other adults whatever kind of relationship it is that we're having yeah it's like what do i need to do to be a better parent what do i need to let them have and it's just like i think it i think it's uh it's taking us away from the fact that it's just us he says it's not what we do for our kids that matters it's who we are for them mm-hmm. and he says that whatever the question you are always their answer fascinating i'd love to talk to this guy myself <laughs> mm, mm. um so let's let's get on to your kind of relationship history yeah uh, and and the significance of relationships to you obviously uh, in in the introduction we, we said that you were married to your childhood sweetheart mm-hmm. tell me tell me a little bit about your your kind of the significance of relationships in your life well so this is probably the only relationship that I've had that hasn't really tended to abandon me, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, the irony, isn't it? I think, you know, God has a good sense of humor. But uh, so we 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 met at the age of 12 um, and we got together as a couple at the age of 15, 2002. What day is it today? It's the fourth. So in four days time, on the 8th of November, 2022, we will be celebrating 20 years together. And it's not all been sunshine and rainbows. You know, we we got married in 2011, had our first child 2012 and our second child in 2015. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we we I I guess if you do any of the psychometric profiles, whether you do the love languages, whether you do any of those things, we're opposites. Right. Which on a good day means we work really well together. (laughs) But on a bad day, we just fuck each other off by being ourselves. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, I think we had some, you know, wonderful growth together, wonderful momentum in the first 10 years. But then, you know, when kids come along, again, energy, effort, focus, you you think it's pressure, isn't it? You know, in a leadership setting, you really find out the quality of a leader, not by when things are going well, but when things don't go so well. And, and when things weren't going so well for us. There just was an absence of grace. We 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 didn't really understand each other that well enough, and we would probably look at each other, and the distress behaviour was seen more out of resentment. You know, I've said I don't like it when you do this and you keep doing it, rather right. than seeing the root of what that behaviour was. We just would would use it to resent each other, and uh, I, I guess it got to a point after having second child. Um, you know, we we started to do this a bit more. My wife sets up a business. I've set up a business. We put our passion into that rather than each other. And we both do wonderful things, which is even worse because we're looking at that go, well, you know, why why aren't we looking? Well, (laughs) what happened is everybody else got the best of us and we got and we got the rest of us. I often get that thrown at me sometimes. Well, you're a relationship coach. You should know better. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's, oh, let's yeah, I've had that that's straight to the heart. That is, you, you talk about heart centered leadership. You're an ass. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> straight to the heart, but it's great accountability. You know, in, in in the book of Proverbs, it says, "As iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens man." And and that's how we learn and truly grow and find out who we really are is in relationship with those closest to us. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we've done that. We've we've unfortunately been the cause of each other's pain, and and it got to a point where I guess I gave up hope. And, and that was a really difficult thing for me because, you know, I, you know, for me, I, you know, my dad left when I was very young, six months old. My, yeah. my stepdad left when I was 12 because he wasn't my real dad. He, he abandoned me effectively, had no more contact with me. Okay. Um, My, you know, every, every element of my family have divorced and remarried and, and I've never really had a solid, stable role model or, you know, father figure. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I'd just come to this point late 20s where I'd got enough self-awareness to know that Ryan Hartley's a lot better when he feels loved. Okay. Like, I, I just I, I just knew that the, the world got the worst of Ryan Hartley, especially as kids, when he didn't feel loved. Mm-hmm. So I crazily came to this idea that everybody in this family would be better off if I wasn't in it. Okay. So I made the decision to leave. I ended up moving back to my mum's house mm-hmm. <laughs> for a month. It was awful. Like okay. it, it was my old bedroom when I was oh mate i wish she'd redecorated it it looked like um you know all these floral kind of bed covers there was a there was a lampshade in the corner that i thought was from beauty and the beast was going to come alive at any point (laughs) but there was an element of i guess peace in my heart that i was doing something you know i I was taking some control of my destiny Mm. i was full of purpose i didn't really know how it was going to go obviously i was scared that but I just knew that I had to do something. Mm. What that really did is it gave us three weeks just to take a step back and go, what are we really doing? What do we really want? Like, because I think what we had to do is just let that two weeks of resentment just go, okay, now that's settled. Mm. We can start to be a bit more, you know, on the same page. So after three weeks, we we really made a recommitment to each other. And um, yeah, I, I, I ended up, she, she found faith during this time. And, I was like a man of science. Like there was no way you were going to get me into any church. Like man of science, but yeah, she that's wanted... changed after your referrals to the proverbs and stuff already today. Yeah, absolutely. And the the irony is not lost on me that I'm even quoting those things because mm. if anybody knew me three and a half years ago, I'd be the last person you think I'd be quoting that. Right. But you know, in getting back together, she wanted to go to this Christian festival. And I thought, this is like my idea of a worst nightmare. I thought I was going to spend my time with 20,000 Ned Flanders. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and off I go, you know, and, and there's something strange. Like my idea of a church was pointy building. Everyone sat in a row. They're all in their 70s saying, peace be with you. And and it was nothing like that. It was people all walks of life. The, the music I'd never really heard before. And it just started to speak to me. You know, there was just messages that were coming through for me. And I just started subtly listening to this stuff on the on the drive home. I wouldn't tell my wife because, you know, I wouldn't want her to think that she was right. <laughs> and, you know, and it, and it slowly softened me until the point it was Father's Day. We end up going to a local church and the pastor, he says, oh, you know, it's Father's Day. We want to say some nice words over you men. I thought, well, well what's the worst that can happen? I'll, I'll go down the front. And I'll let him say some nice things. Mm -hmm. And I can't explain it other than to say that when he said, that's it, women, you put your hands out towards these men, my whole body caught fire. Wow. My eyes streamed. Mm -hmm. And I just walked back to my wife and I said, I feel like a child of God and I never want to talk about this ever again. 
<laughs> and the re and the reason I can't be here and have a conversation with you without mentioning this, there's nothing about me that wants to talk about this, mm. but I can't deny it that our family has been transformed from the inside out because of that newfound faith and because of that experience. And intellectually, I would never have understood it. Just before I left, her putting God before me made me even more angry. Mm. I'm like, kids are already above me. Mm -hmm. Now the big man, like, (laughs) I'm out. I'm out. And yet, and yet, since we've both done that, we have both become more loving, more kind, more gracious. That's the thing we never had in our family is a bubble of grace. And okay. and that is the thing that is really enabling us to to journey in this, this safety that we never really had. Mm-hmm. And then we would start to have conversations like, so what did so? And this is the thing I wish that everybody is able to do. And this is why your podcast is, is so important, is to have these conversations in the early days about what did what did life teach us about love growing up? Mm. What is our love language? You know, how do we respond under stress? Well, okay, well, how can I lean in and help you when you're showing that stress? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have a, a tool called life languages, not to get them confused. But one of the life languages that my wife leads with says that she'll get in a state of distress when there's too much to do. There's too much overwhelm. Mm-hmm. And the life language predicts that her distress flares, the way that she will respond is to become a martyr, to make accusations and to grumble. And it makes me chuckle because whenever I leave the house a mess, because I'm creative, <laughs> whenever I've just put my stuff down, she'll start to go, oh, why am I the only one doing anything? You never help out, blah, 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 blah. You know, so it was a literally, it predicted her behavior yeah. to a T. Mm-hmm. And if her profile can do that, then maybe it's not actually about her. Maybe I can have grace for her. Mm-hmm. And then... My problem is that I take everything personally. Yeah. So maybe if I learn how not to take things personally and connect with maybe the root of her stress, maybe I can actually do the loving thing and lean in and help. And starting to understand each other from a position of, um, you know, stress and what causes each other's stress it is has made us much better partners to help with that rather than to add to that. Mm. And like because you're able to say step out of your space, yeah, and step into their space and show, like you said, it's heart led. Then isn't it? It's very much about them. Yeah, you trying to understand them rather than you going into yourself. Because again, especially with your uh, experiences and of abandonment, fact, yeah. when someone is acting that way, that can be feel quite rejecting, can't it? And and as, yeah. and then you'll go into the, your hurt space, um, to, in order to react to what they're doing. Absolutely. You know, I, I grew up with um, single parent mum, the epitome of optimism, worked several jobs, you know, never complained, mm-hmm. uh, always happy go lucky. So love to me looked like independence, love looked like positivity. And it, my wife grew up with effectively in a, a single child, dad did everything for her, you know, and so love to her looked like doing stuff. Yeah. So then she will ask me to do stuff and I'll be like a bit icky. I'll be like, I think I'm loving you by encouraging you to find independence and do it yourself. Mm. Unwittingly denying her the feeling of love. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cause you're not showing her the way that she needs to. Absolutely. And, 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 and that's it. When you start to look at that in the absence of 
because that's really hard to address in the moment. Once you sit down and be intentional with these conversations, say it's a Friday night, kids have gone to bed, bottle of wine, and it the easy thing to do would be put telly on, right? Mm. But the intentional thing to do would be pull out a couple of journals and go, oh, let's let's just journal on around a couple of questions. And the things we found out each about each other after being together 15 years already <laughs> was incredible. Yeah. They're just taking that time to try and understand one another. Right. Yeah. As I look again with the with the coaching I do, it's very much I look at love languages, I look at the, the experiences of our childhood and, and then mm. subsequent experiences to try and explain why we're in this issue. Why are people sitting in front of me right now at, in, in a coaching environment? Why are they not getting on? What's really going on in that relationship and what they're carrying from their past? And I also do a disc personality profile. Yep. Yeah. Which like you said, under stress. And I very much use that for two reasons. It, it shows me how people see themselves, how yeah, people yeah. like to be seen by others and how they react under stress. So it's interesting then when people understand yeah. how they act under stress, yeah, they can understand then if they can understand that within themselves, they can then understand how other people might act under stress, but they can also impart any of that information to anybody else mm. that goes, okay, when I get stressed, this is how I usually behave. <laughs> this is what I do. Yeah. So please bear with me and try and understand that space I go into. And, and then we can have conversations about how you can help me not to feel the way that I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's funny, isn't it? How we project how we would like to be loved on other people. We expect them to know how to love us and mm-hmm. we expect them to understand that we're showing love in certain ways. And it's just, you're just mismatching, misfiring and, you know, taking that time to really connect and understand that helps you be, be more intentional. Yeah. Um, I actually did a, an episode. If you want to go back and listen to the Relationship Guy podcast about love languages, or I would actually recommend that you go and listen to Ryan's podcast because That's he actually had the person on there themselves that wrote the book. So um, mine's very much tickling around the edges. So I'm sure Ryan's is much more in-depth and, and you'll get a lot more from listening to that as well. Um, so, you know, how, how do you think that you, you said that validation and that abandonment and stuff that you experienced as, as a child and that kind of played out with the I'm really interested again about how you then came to terms with that. I understood that through through this uh, finding of religion, uh, finding of faith. Um, is it, you know, because it struck me when you said that, that you found a validation from within yourself, but also outside of yourself at the same time? Well, it's understanding that the external validation is always temporary. So that external validation for me was about going to the world for love. And and I got it in abundance. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you get it in abundance? You go back to it. You know, and, and, I, and I think the most powerful force is to be able to find that within and to not need anything from the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I found that that happened is, is through my faith. And, you know, I... I I say it transcends my intellectual understanding, but after that experience where my whole body caught fire, I can't really gain any access to resentment towards, you know, my father. Um, There are still elements where expectation and disappointment still filter through my, my state of being, Mm -hmm. but it's not one of resentment for my childhood. It's not one of resentment. You know, I listen to a lot of Eastern philosophy, you know, Sadhguru, the Indian um, yogi. And, you know, one of the things that, that he says is that if you love who you are, you can't really hate what got you here. And I've come to a point where I'm at such a point in my life where I really do love who I am. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm better than anyone, not because I'm great at, but because I because of all the things I try hard at, and because of all the things that oh bless him, he uh he's got a weak soft spot too. 
you know, John D. Martini says that that love is the synthesis of thesis and antithesis. And I guess what I've taken from that is that love is the acceptance of both. It's not just the I love myself when I'm hashtag living my best life. Mm. Uh, love is the acceptance of all of it. Mm. So I don't think love is blind. I think love sees all and chooses to accept it anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, that beautiful, beautifully put. Most definitely, I completely agree that it's it's a space from within that actually it's it's no matter what's going on in your life, you still hold that sense of love for yourself. Yeah, and, and, and to show and, yourself passion and understanding. And I'd love to say, yeah, hundred percent. And I'd love to say that that's a state of being that's either on or continuously or but it's not and that's why it requires self-leadership mm. this idea of self-love i think has become more hedonism <laughs> i think i think the world has gone a little bit self-love mad and they've forgotten what it really means which is to get ourselves to a state of having all that we need you know because the world is so busy trying to you know particularly with the capitalism and commercialism it's trying to convince us that we need to have more and do more in order to be more and, it, and it's it's an attack on our souls and it's an attack on the truth which is that if we can lead ourselves to realizing that we have all that we need we can come to the world in our relationships in our workplace being the representation of love for other people we can love you know love is a verb bob goff wrote a book called love does and i absolutely just love what it means you know love is when we said at the very start about how it's been romanticized well he reminds us that love is action and it's doing and it's the, it's the way with which we can love other people. And that becomes possible when we don't need anything. Yeah. No, that again, that's, that's beautifully put. Which, you know, when we've got lives and social lives and children and work lives and, you know, all that to maintain, mm. the minute, you know, we wake up, someone wants something from us. So we have to factor in some time, particularly as men and as dads. You know, we have to factor in that time for ourselves. Give give our time, give some time for ourselves, and in doing so, realize that when we do that for ourselves, other people get a better version of us. Mm. We we become more loving. We become more kind. We become more tolerant, more patient. I know that if I don't give to myself and I have too many late nights and I'm tired, patience is the first thing that goes out the window. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that bringing myself back to a state, whether it be gym, whether it be meditation, breath work, going for a dog walk, any of these things mm -hmm. to bring me back into this, again, biology of peace, presence, mm -hmm. love. You know, I, I do ice baths and cold showers and jump in rivers. I don't do it for the fun of it. I do it for who I become on the other side of it. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I will not be joining you in. I'm <laughs> Um, I think it's interesting what you said as well about that. That need, I, definitely everybody needs to have their own space and their own time and to do things that nurture them and and fill them with a sense of self. Interesting what you said about that self love, and I think you know social media is is a is a is a killer for that because yeah. you know everybody puts their well most people put their best life on there, and then if we feel like we're not living our best lives and look at what everyone else is doing, then we can yeah. feel slightly left behind, can't we? And then yeah it's promoted that we need to aim to be this and aim to do that all of the time in order to be like they are. But actually it's about figuring that out for yourself. What is what the things that actually make you happy? What's fulfilling for you? What makes you content and brings you that peace and calm within yourself? I agree. And I, and I think one of the greatest flaws 
that is hidden from sight in this idea of self-love is that the people who need it most have probably only experienced a form of human conditional love. Mm. That's the problem with human beings. They're so conditional. And when we try and receive love from another human being, it's generally conditional. And and yet self-love, self-acceptance needs to be unconditional, which mm. is why I take that from my faith. And, and you know, some people take it from the universe, God, spirit, creator. But I truly believe that that is the only source of, of unconditional love that we can truly rely on um, unless we have a healed human being to try and journey with who is learning how to walk the unconditional path. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point as well, isn't it? That, you know, mostly, again, you know, we do feel that love is conditional as we grow yeah. up. We have and to it, behave a certain way for yeah. our parents to treat us yeah. a certain Absolutely. And and then when you start to self-love with that condition, you think, well, I'll only love myself once I've done. Mm-hmm. I'll only love myself once I am this type of person or when I look this way. Mm. You know, even if it's our, our bodies, for example, you know, no one created a body they loved by hating it. Mm. So don't be conditional with when you're going to love my body. I'll, I'll love my body when it looks like, no, you love it first and then it grows and then it gets, But you know, yeah. that's what I mean by being better than yesterday. Mm. Too many people are running around thinking that being better is a requirement. And they misunderstand that it's the result of this unconditional container of love. And in that safety of love, we we become more authentic. We become more who we were born to be. And in doing so, and in bringing that to the world, we can't help but grow. And the great thing is we help others along the way with it. Yeah. And that point you made earlier on is hugely significant. It's the, it's the best. If I'm the best version of myself, if yeah. I feel good within myself, everybody will benefit from that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of things that people don't register with a lot of the time. And I say that to yeah. you a lot, you know, you need to be in a good space in yourself and then you can be the best you can be for everybody else rather than trying to be 100%. the best you can be for everybody else and, and neglecting yourself. Yeah. I, the, I, you know, on an airplane, put your mask on, before, uh, put your mask on for, I was like, I would never do that. Like I would always put other people's on before my own. And it's not until you realize that, well, if you're not in the game, then you can't help other people. Yeah. So it's best to realize before having that breakdown and that <laughs> meltdown that actually, actually you are kind of worthy and valuable to look after first. Cause if you don't, you know, other people suffer, but there's, that's maybe that's a negative way of looking at it. The way I prefer to look at it is if you can't give what you've not got, imagine how much you can give when you've got a lot. Mm. Yeah. An abundance, hopefully, you can you yeah. can spread, spread the love. <laughs> so from the overflow, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and like there's a thing is if you you know if you keep giving from your own jug, what happens when you run out, and you've got no one there to help to fulfill to fulfill your fill your jug again with with love mm. and and mm. time and everything else that you need to feel yeah. like you're in a good space. It's it's not me or you. It's mm. me then you, mm. and in looking after me first, you get a better me. Mm. So remember that, people, put your oxygen mask on first. If you're struggling in spaces at the moment where you feel you're, you're running out of things to give mm-hmm. uh, and you just don't have that space and, and time for yourself, um, really look at that self-care element. Um, even if you struggle with self-love at the moment, um, yeah. hopefully you will get there, but at least look at some self-care first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for sharing what you've shared so far today, Ryan. It's been thank you. Uh, really insightful. We are going to run out of time, unfortunately. So before we disappear, um, can you tell uh, people how they can reach out and get in touch with you, how they can find your podcast, etc.? Thank you. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, abty.co.uk is my website. You'll find all the links to the coaching work that I do. Uh, my coaching is all about heart set, 
heart work and heart print. So I help people connect with their heart set. I help people bring more of their heart work to the world. And I help them leave a heart print where those around them are left better than yesterday. So variety of coaching, do some consulting stuff with with teams and organizations, and you'll get the link to the podcast on there too. Awesome. So can you just repeat that and I'll put make sure that goes in the notes? Thank you. abty.co.uk, abty.co.uk. Lovely. Uh, and before we finish today, do you have any uh, final words of wisdom or a favorite quote that you would like to leave the listeners with? I interviewed a wonderful guy called Dr. Bruce Lipton. And what he has been able to do is reduce everything to like the atom, you know, the, the most powerful force in the universe, the atom. And what he says is that the atom, the way it's made up, has uh, an array of uh, protons that float around the atom. Mm-hmm. And he says that uh, there are various different layers that you can have a maximum of 10, say. And, and, and at each layer, one might have three, five, and two. And then that atom will bond perfectly with another atom that has the opposite. Right. Yeah. So they synthesize. And in doing so, they start to spin harmoniously. Mm-hmm. I think that is an example of how sometimes opposites come together in real life. That in some way that the opposites, complementary opposites come together and spin in perfect unity. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is that there becomes a codependency that on their own, they're not spinning okay mm-hmm. yeah so that there's somehow they lose themselves in this sense of identity with they lose themselves a little bit in the service of of this marriage who am i beyond this mm-hmm. what dr bruce says is that there's a group of atoms on the periodic table called noble gases mm-hmm. and he says that these atoms they spin perfectly on their own like they have the perfect number of protons or neurons, whatever it is, spinning around them, that they need nothing. They are already have all that they need on their own. And he says, when that type of atom comes together with another type of that, another noble gas, they create the power of lasers, literally one of the most powerful forces in the entire universe, this laser. Mm-hmm. And it comes together when two human beings when they know that they have all that they need, that they have all the love within them and that they can come together in a relationship with somebody else who has all that they need, that one plus one equals three, that in some way something new is born in this world that was not present in either of them. That's my encouragement is that we all go on this journey. We should all look out for ourselves in a way of coming to the world, having all that we need, Mm -hmm. knowing all that we're good at, knowing all that we're flawed at, and journeying in the healing and the loving of someone who we choose to partner with in life and just know that when we do that powerful things can happen great thanks Ryan thank you for leaving us with that if you want to reach out to Ryan please do go to the show notes and uh, get in contact Uh, thanks for today it's been a great conversation again like a lot of the conversations I have it's one of those things we could just chat all day if we had the if we had the time Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow, and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.